0: So new year, new series, we we have been focusing on discipleship quite a bit. And one of the components of discipleship that we don't often talk about is who are you doing this with? Who are the people that you're putting into your life that are helping you to be a better disciple or not? And and how do we assess who those people are? need to be. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the company we keep. And these are specifically relationships that you choose to have in, in your life. So if, if you've got an issue with your parents, uh, this is not going to get covered in, in this series. This is, who are the people that, that you have control over that are in, in your life? Today we're going to be talking about friendship in particular, and and who are our friends, how we get them, and um, what we should be looking for in the friends that we surround ourselves with. So friends, with that in mind, let us go to God in prayer. Gracious God, when it comes to friends, we get presented with a lot of what we think are good opportunities. Help us to be wise enough to discern which ones really are good. In your name we pray. Amen. In in the closing moments of the movie Stand By Me, the one that came out in 1986, now 30 something writer Gordy Lachance is reflecting on his adventures and relationships that he has formed in his childhood. And he types into the manuscript I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus does anyone. That's a really good question, because friends are just about the very first relationships that we actually kind of sort of get to choose in this life. In the early years, that process is aided by a pretty structured support system. Between school and church and sports and activities, it's fairly easy to find those people that are pretty similar to you, probably have a lot of the same interests. But as we grow older, that changes. And as we mature, which by the way is not the same thing as growing older, we come to examine friendship very, very differently. When I was starting to write and think about this particular part of the sermon, I thought, you know, this is gonna be really good for for our teenagers because our teenagers, they're in that social process right now of, of making friends. And then I started thinking about some of the stories that that Pastor Sung tells me from his times over at the retirement home. And it dawned on me that maybe some of our other folks might benefit from a good conversation on what it means to be a friend. So when we think about that, we begin to understand this difference between acquaintances and friends. And we start to understand that we have far fewer friends than we might actually have thought we had when we were younger. There are all kinds of studies about what qualifies as a friend and how many of them you can actually have in your life. One of the most interesting studies that was done recently was done among college students and the question that was asked of college students was, how many good friends do you think that you have? And they were asked to list these people that they thought were good friends. So then they went out and they talked to these good friends. And the good friends said, I I don't really know that person. Uh, and, And they found that over and over and over again, that our perception of who our good friends are is not always as accurate or as mutual as we might think. So as we begin this series on the company we keep, we want to take a good hard look at at what Scripture tells us about the people that we surround ourselves with. And at the heart of this, this series is our journey of discipleship, how we go about following Jesus. And the people that we put around us the most will have the greatest impact on our personal discipleship. So today we wanna look at what Jesus has to say about our friends and what it means to be a friend. In this passage in John, we are just a few chapters into the the story of the Last Supper. So Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and he's having a meal with them and we're at the point where we are before when he gets betrayed and arrested. He's already shared with them quite a bit about who he is, who God is, What is going to happen, even if they don't quite get it? And when we get to chapter 15, verse 12, which is what Kathy started reading, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do as I command you. Love one another as I have loved you. This is Jesus raising the standard on the Old Testament, because it used to be do unto others as you'd have done to you. But that's a pretty unequal standard, because maybe what you'd want done to you is different than what I'd want done to me. So Jesus says, okay, new plan on this. Love as I have loved you. Well, Jesus' love is a complete love. It's not a conditional one. It's not one that waits for when it's convenient. It's not one that's angling for opportunity. It's a pure love that comes from the heart of God. It's a heart of generosity and compassion, grace and mercy. So when we think about the people that we call our friends, we want to ask ourselves if we find a complete love in them. Are they our friend because there's something in it for them? Because they want something special from us? We always get a good laugh in the church office each week as different types of salespeople call the office and they try to navigate the phone system because what they want is they wanna talk to me, right? So they're smart enough not to introduce themselves to whoever's answered the phone and, and right away, before the person who's answer can say anything, in the most casual of ways, like they've known me forever, they'll say, hey, can I talk to Victoria? Right? And we know, we know in the office that that's a gimme phone call. It's, it's a phone call of, I'm calling because I want you to gimme something. And we know that this is not my friend. It could be my mom, but it's not going to be my friend. Right? <laughs> because, because my friends do not call me. Victoria but sometimes they're getting smarter you know these these solicitors they're getting smarter and sometimes they put in that extra effort to go to the church website and they discover that I don't use Victoria and so they tell the person on the phone that that, that they're calling they say hey can I speak to my friend Hope I've never met these people but they've co-opted this word because gosh if it's a friend of mine well of course Of course you're going to put them through to speak to me. If you have friends that only call you when they want or when they need something, these are not real friends. Real friends give of themselves completely. They lay down their lives for their friends. Now, we've all heard that expression, and we tend to want to equate that expression with taking a bullet for somebody. Um, really, like, dying for for someone. But there are other ways that we can lay down our lives for our friends. For starters, do you have a friend in your life that no matter what they are doing, they will stop dead in their tracks just, just to be there for you? They will literally lay down their own life to attend to yours? These are people who are, who are beyond your blood family who would come and get you and, and take you to the hospital at four in the morning, people that you trust to put down as, as the emergency contact for your kids at school, someone who's going to rearrange their vacation plans to be there for a milestone moment in your life. When you start looking at your relationships in, in your life through the lens of Jesus, you're going to discover that that while you may have many people that you associate with and, and that you even like, your true friends are going to be a very small but mighty group. These are the people who show up on time, every time, no matter what. Sung and I learned about this firsthand when our youngest child was about two years old. She had to be hospitalized at Sarasota Memorial Hospital, and uh, it, was, it was pretty scary for us because none of our other children had ever been hospitalized, and as you know, we don't have family in the area. Um, ever wonder what pastors do when they need a pastor? Um, they don't. But most of the time, we, we will go without. So, so there we were, me and Sung and two healthy kids and, and a sick one. And somehow, in all of that fear and confusion, one of us texted back here to Bradenton. And, and I don't remember what the text said, but I'm, I'm very certain it wasn't, please come now. It was definitely not that. And so late in the afternoon, down in, at Sarasota, in walked these two very special people. And the crazy thing about them is that that they're they're both medical professionals. They they both have very full-time demanding jobs. One of them was pregnant at the time. And there were 100 million other places that, that they could have been in that moment. But instead, instead, they stopped. They went and got a toy for our daughter. And they brought dinner for our entire family to the hospital. They... They showed up, not because they wanted something from us or because they stood to gain anything, not because it was convenient, because it is sure not, or because it seemed like it was the right thing to do, but because they are our friends, they laid down their lives for us. Do you have people in your life that do that for you? Are, are you someone who does that for others? Jesus is this ultimate demonstration of what it looks like to lay down your life for your friends. But that's, that's not all. There's more to it, Jesus says. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. True friendship is transparent and accountable. By the time that Jesus says this to his disciples, he has already laid out for them everything that he knows of God's plan of salvation. He has held nothing back from them. They might not have gotten it, but that doesn't mean that he didn't share it. He put it all out there. Everything he knows has now been shared with them. When my kids were young, they were given a book called, You Wouldn't Love Me If You Knew. And it's about this little boy who is pretty certain that if people in his life knew the things that he had done, things like he broke his sister's toy, and that he spilled his milk, and that he fed the dog the broccoli he was supposed to eat, that if people knew this about him, that they wouldn't love him anymore. True friends are the people that we can be 100% honest with and they're still going to love us. But they will love us so much, in fact, that if what we're doing is detrimental, they're not going to hesitate to call us out on it and then walk with us to help us change our ways. So, for example, let's say that you have a drinking problem and you confess that to someone that you think is your friend and they respond to you by saying, oh, man, that's rough. And then that's it. What they're saying to you is, yeah, that's your problem. Can't, can't be bothered with that right now. Because they don't really think it's any of their business. They don't care enough. It's not their problem. Well, that's, that's not a friend. Because a real friend is someone who's going to start walking with you through it. They're going to be there when you are at your best, at your worst, and everywhere in between. And the most important friends that you can have in your discipleship life is going to be that friend that is checking in on you to see how is it going with your soul. Because in the down and dirty of Christian life, some of us are phenomenal, phenomenal pretenders. We say the right words, we do the right things, but if you did an autopsy on our soul, you'd find these black pits of despair. If you introduce me to someone who says that they are a Christian and claims that they have never, not once, not ever, had a moment of doubt, of hopelessness, of anger, of sadness of the soul, then I will look at them straight in the face and say, you are an amazing liar. An amazing liar. For some reason, we see those things as as marks of shame, of weakness. We, We don't want to be the one to confess that, that we're not really sure that Jesus is doing anything in our lives. And sometimes it's for more than a moment. Sometimes it's a whole season. So do you have friends that you can be completely transparent with, that are going to be completely transparent with you? And I want you to be so careful, so careful with this one, because as the proverb says, some friends play at friendship, but a true friend sticks closer than one's nearest kin you want a friend and you want to be a friend that you can be transparent with not so that they will judge you but so that they will come alongside of you and hold you accountable and encourage you and there are people who play at friendship by expressing their fake concern for you because They stand to gain something. Maybe it's something like they want all the juicy details that are so painful for you because it will make them the centerpiece of their next social gossip gathering. If you had wanted the entire world to know that that you suffered a miscarriage and it's putting a strain on your marriage and on your faith, you would have announced that all on your own. So be careful with those who only play with friendship for their own gain. Finally, Jesus says to us, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. We are chosen and appointed to bear fruit as followers of Christ. Now, it is widely known among the congregation that I am unable to keep even the most basic of house plants alive. So, I went and consulted an authoritative source on this, Washington State University, and on their website it says, and I quote, Soil quality and nutrition is essential for fruit quality and yield. Now, I realize that's common sense, but I wanted you to have it from an actual authority. And all of that is to say that if you're gonna thrive as a disciple, you wanna be rooted in a soil that is gonna help you produce not just fruit, anybody can produce fruit, but good and quality fruit in your life. You want your company of friends to include those who lay down their lives for you, who are transparent, and open to accountability who are bearing good fruit. And and if that's who you're looking to surround yourself with, you also want to take stock of yourself and decide, are you ready to be in the company of friends for someone else? The hardest part of all of this, especially as we get older, is that you may also discover that you need to replant yourself you may need to remove friends from your life if they are choking out your joy your faith your love with their selfishness their callousness their antagonism towards what you believe you may need to go and find more nourishing soil because while you might be able to live in that environment for a while you'll begin to see that your ability to produce that good and quality fruit will start to dwindle away. So I'd like to challenge you to something this week. I'd like you to go home, and I want you to make out a list of the five people, the five people that you would consider your closest friends. Cannot be your spouse. We're going to address that in a, a different week. But five people none of whom are your blood relatives that you consider to be your closest friends. And then I want you to ask yourself the following questions about each one of them. Does this person lay down their life for me? Would I do it for them? Do they love me for me and not what they stand to gain from me? Is that reciprocal on my part? Does this person care about my soul? And are they an encouragement to my walk with Jesus? Again, are you doing the same for them? Do they love me enough to hold me accountable? Do I need to replant myself in better soil? And then after you've done all that, come back to the question asked in Stand By Me. Jesus, does anyone have friends like they did when they were 12? And for those who seek to follow him, the answer is no. We will have even greater ones. To God be the glory now and forevermore. Amen.